All right. This is the A. I'm Reg Clay, and usually we would have Norman G. on, but Norman is uh, auditioning. He is a working actor, by the way, and uh, it is November the 3rd, 2018, and I have a fantastic guest, Fallon Blazer, who is the owner of Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Preserve. Fallon, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's great, and uh, I, I know you. You and I, you were a pianist, and I was an actor and singer in Candide which was at the Douglas Morrison Theater. It was one of the, uh, a fantastic uh, moment, a fantastic production um, that we did, and uh, a lot of great memories. Do you still remember that? Of course I remember that. Yeah, that was so much fun. <laughs> it was, it was, and uh, the audience had a, one, a fantastic uh, just experience. Um, there was one friend of mine, Tom Lynch, who had tears in his eyes <gasps> after uh, the ending of Candide. There's a wonderful song, Make Our Garden Grow. Yeah. As a matter of fact, thinking of Candide, the main actor, I don't know if you know this, but he passed away. I heard briefly over Instagram, which is an awful way of trying to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was sad, but uh, he, he had a, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, but I, I can't for the life of me. But he had a fantastic voice. In any case, yeah, Candide was fantastic, and uh, you were a pianist. There was a whole orchestra, Dave Moshler, uh, the great uh, Dave Moshler, uh, the awesome orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had um, a group of people, and you were part of that. But you are on be- here because you um, are the owner and proprietor, I should say, of the Brooklyn Preserve. And I know Ubuntu has been doing, they did their entire season at the Brooklyn Preserve. Is that right? Yeah, in 2017. Yeah, in 2017. So you're on as sort of a, a owner of a, um, it's not a theater company. It's, it's basically a space. You know, we've interviewed people who are actors, who are, um, they're creatives, like writers and producers. And we've had uh, owners of theater companies who rent out space. Uh, but we've only, aside from you, we've had Linda Ayers Frederick, who runs the Phoenix Theater, as sort of an owner of a, um, of a space. And so we'll be, com- we'll be talking to you as sort of a, uh, from the perspective of someone who runs a space. In any case, other than that, h- how's life going? How's 2018 been treating you? 2018 has been incredible. Yeah. What a jump. I've learned so much. <laughs> yeah. All of the stress and sweat and hard work and effort that I've put into the Brooklyn Preserve has yeah. been like reaping rewards a little bit at a time. This day. Yeah, you know, as an actor and as a uh, sort of a budding creative person, I'm getting into sort of the business of theater. And it's something that we don't talk about a lot. The business of, I guess, creating the business of art, because it's not just, you know, the Brooklyn Preserve doesn't just do doesn't just host theater companies, but you also host um, musical acts and, and other venues. Is that right? Yeah, we try to be as versatile as possible, trying to uh, treat all the arts as equal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of our philosophy is that art art is healing. Mm-hmm. Art should be accessible to everybody. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we would like to have as much stuff in there as possible. And it is in a historic church. So it's yeah, set yeah. Up as a theater. Right, right, exactly. It's it's a converted church, and we'll talk more about that. Usually, I ask Norman how his week was, but you know he's busy right now. But there have been a lot of current events going on. I just finished doing a faith podcast with my good friend Craig Dickerson, and we talked on the Book of Ruth. But we really talked about immigration policy. Uh, you know, there's a a caravan that's coming. It's actually been building up since October the twelfth. Basically, people from Venezuela and I believe Honduras who have talked via Twitter and Instagram on a caravan coming to the United States. 
Of course, Trump has characterized it as uh, this horde of people who are coming as if it were some sort of a monster invasion. But really, these are just people who are trying to make a better life for themselves. And they want to come to a place that used to market themselves as the land of the free and the home of the brave. You know, giving your tired, your poor, your humbled masses. Um, that used to be what America is. Uh, I don't know anymore. Right. Fallon, what do you think about what's just happening right now? It's something I ask all of my guests, but what do you think of America now in the age of Trump? Wow, that's a question. Yeah. Um, I feel like Trump has a part to play mm-hmm. as, as a bit of a mirror for our nation. We, up until Trump was president, sort of idolized who he is and the money that he makes and yeah. his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also what we portray in the media, so that's what other countries see as well. And maybe that's why everyone wants to come here. Like, oh, that's where all the money and all the mm-hmm. champagne is at. Yeah. But it's, it's, not, it's not who we are. You know, it's interesting. I went to India earlier this year, um, and I was talking with a friend of mine who has never been to America. And she was, of course, very confused. She was like, you know, we see these movies and we see these uh, television shows and we see the commercials and America prompts itself as someone, a place where people can, excuse me, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> but, pe- but you know, we market ourselves at, and we, I think we've always done that, you know, from the turn of the century. I'm a bit of a historian and, you know, the turn of the century is where we had the second industrial revolution where we were sort of making products and selling products, not just to people in the United States, but to the world. And so part of that marketing strategy is sort of showing America as this great mecca of democracy and independence and freedom where people can come and, you know, be the best. You know, you can come and make money and you can have a business and, you know, uh, and make yourselves. And um, I just don't know. Um, in how in one sense we can call ourselves this great beacon of democracy, yet another sense we could say, oh, no, we don't want you, we don't want you, you know, you you Latinos here, or we don't want, you know, you Muslims, you know, coming in here, or, you know, black people who, you know, will, will just, you know, harm us or, or what have you. So it's been very, very strange. Um, and you've seen the transition from, let's say, you know, this is the America that elected Barack Obama for, for eight years. And now, you know, we have Trump. So does that shock you at all? I mean, did the election of Trump shock you? Honestly, it did not. Interesting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, we are marketing ourselves. And and it's very much about image, I think. Um, What do we want to portray? What is the trend? Who is moving the trend? Yeah. You know, and I feel like the mass of people sort of goes where that trend goes. Yeah. so, no, it wasn't surprising. I think we kind of reached a tipping point mm. um, in that wrong direction. Yeah. Um, and that was the necessary result. Yeah, but it's it was also a wake-up call, I think. Now we're starting to realize that, wait, that's not who we are. That's That was our image. And mm. now maybe we can take take that as an opportunity to look inside. Yeah. I think it's been an interesting civics lesson as far as, you know, what happens when you don't take responsibility as far as voting, Mm -hmm. excuse me, taking responsibility of our civic duty to to be attentive to what's going on. It's not just the national elections like a presidential election, but also, you know, electing your governor, electing, um, you know, who your 
supervisor will be, who your mayor is going to be, who your DA is going to be, and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I really need a class on that. <laughs> How do you make those decisions? Because yeah. I approach politics as there's already a veil. Sure. And for me to pierce through that veil, I need um, like a certain tool set yeah. to be able to do that, and I don't have it. Yeah. So I pretty much just ask people who I trust. Who do I vote for? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It's, it's, I'm glad that you brought that up because I had my uh, – so I, 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 I mailed in my vote. As a matter of fact, I, uh, on Friday, as I was taking a break from work, I filled out my absentee ballot. But there's a wonderful website. I'm hoping that I can find it right now. I probably won't because uh, this is a horrible thing to do live. <laughs> but um, there's a wonderful um, – there's a website. I'll plug it later on. But there's a website where you can go. And you can find out who the representatives are and who the measures are mm -hmm. and who and it really gives you a nice template as to what the issues are, what the pros and the cons are and sort of a guideline on how to vote. And uh, I encourage people and anyone who could jump on Google and Wikipedia. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about the Internet. The Internet is what you make it to be. You know, it can be a horrible thing if you're looking for horrible things, mm -hmm. but it can be a wonderful resource if you use it that way. Um, being a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna classify you as a millennial. Is that fair? Do you consider yourself Generation Y, or do you even, even, yeah, yeah. Millennial. yeah. But um, and I'm a Generation Xer. I was born in '69, so I've sort of seen, you know, the trajectory of of things. Like um, one thing that happened this week. So there was a, there was a um, a Mexican. I believe he's a Mexican immigrant. Um, matter of fact, I have his name here. Hold on for a second. Mm. Uh, uh, but basically, we're seeing the second coming of um, Willie Horton. If you remember, uh, if you remember reading about Willie Horton, no, but um, hold on, let me get up my yay thing. I'm being a par horrible podcaster here, um, <laughs> Luis Bar uh, yeah, Luis Luis Bracamontes. So basically, on Wednesday, Trump had put out a racist ad. There was a guy, Luis Bracamontes, who basically was exported he was um he he was an illegal immigrant and he was kicked out of the united states twice once during the george herbert walker bush administration and once i believe during the obama administration he came he came back in the country and wound up killing two um police officers and now he is being tried and he i believe the, it's it's a death penalty case and trump has basically used that of course these are the midterms elections that we're involved in and he's put out an ad and what's Interesting about the ad, usually these ads are done by PACs or super PACs mm -hmm. or friends of the, you know, the candidate who's running. But no, this is endorsed by Donald Trump himself, basically saying these are the people, Democrats, you allowed this to happen. You allowed this illegal immigrant to come in and just kill people. And it's basically fear mongering. And I bring up Willie Horton is because this is during the and I know this is a this is a um, podcast on. The theater of life and life in the theater. But indulge me for a minute. I'm talking to the folks in the um, who's listening. But basically, during the um, George Herbert Walker Bush election against Michael Dukakis, this is in 1988, and I remember being in college in my second year of college at the time. George Herbert Walker Bush put out an ad, or really the friends of Bush put out an ad, basically having a scary black man, Willie Horton, um, who was led out of a Massachusetts prison on a what it was called a furlough program. And he wound up killing someone. He wound up raping a woman and killing someone. And Bush used that to say this is what happens when you have a liberal Democrat um, person running 
um, the legislature, or you know, actually, Dukakis was the governor at the time. And that, along with uh, some very questionable um, things by Dukakis by running around in a uh, tank trying to show how milita- militant he was, that was a horrible thing. But also, Bush had Peggy Newton as his campaign manager writing wonderful speeches, A Thousand Points of Lights and um, A Kinder, Gentler Nation. That was sort of the propaganda that was used by the Bush administration. But the propaganda of hate mm-hmm. that was used by Bush, and now we're seeing it again. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really, really horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're using that hate, I think, to, to create divide. Yeah. And as long as we are divided as a people, they can control us. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, it's very, very sad, and I'm hoping that there will be a change. Well, I'm hoping the midterms will will make a change, that at least as far as the legislature is concerned, in Congress. And two years later, I hope there will be a change um, in the election. I have no idea who's going to run for the Democrat. I think that Kamala Harris will run. Um, I'm sure there'll be other other people as well, but anything but Trump. You know what we're seeing is really really horrible, and also just the violence. I mean, we had the um, the um, the shooting that happened at the Jewish synagogue, which is really really horrible. Today, uh, there was a shooting at uh, I believe a Florida yoga class. Two women died. Oh so there's a lot of gun violence happening. Um, do, do you think that there's a lot of violence, or do you think we're just hearing about it because we're in the age of Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff? No, there's definitely a lot of violence. Yeah. And, I mean, <coughs> where Brooklyn Preserve is set in Oakland sees a lot of violence. Yeah. It sees a lot of people who who that's kind of like what they know. Yeah. And it feels like home to them. Yeah. And so they just perpetuate it. And yeah. And I feel for them, and I wish that I know. I hope that Brooklyn Preserve sort of stands as a beacon of of good values for, for that. Yeah, it sounds like, and we can transition into the Brooklyn Preserve because it's in a neighborhood. Well, you know, that's a, that's the interesting thing about Oakland is that you can walk into one neighborhood and it'd be it can be very pleasant, very clean, and very um, I don't know, just um, pedestrian friendly, if you want to call it that. And then you can walk into yet another area, and it can be, you know, unfortunately very crime-driven. And uh, you never know what neighborhood you're going to walk into. And the Brooklyn Preserve, I, I don't know the neighborhood well, but how how is, how is the neighborhood surrounding the Brooklyn Preserve? Well, it's around the corner from a methadone clinic. Okay. Yeah, so, I hear you. And um, there are prostitutes at all hours. Yeah, day. I hear you. <clears throat> um, so... It's fine for me, yeah. but when, as a, a theater venue, sure. often um, uh, theater companies who also perform in other mm-hmm. areas like Berkeley will yeah. have their audience pool come sure. to the church. And that was actually Ubuntu's strategy a yeah. little bit, to yeah. unite people, was to bring them from site-specific places. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when these, when these people come here, mm-hmm. they're a little taken aback, I think. They don't feel safe. Yeah, I understand. And, you know, the Exit Theater has to go through the exact same thing. Also, um, Bindlestiff Studios, that's a Philippine studio, which is in the middle of San Francisco. It's on, I think, 6th Street. And 6th Street, you know, they're building itself up um, slowly and surely, but still there's a lot of – there are clinics and there are um, – what do you call them? The hotels where, where, you know, uh, transients will come and go. but, you know, it hasn't stopped the Exit Theater from having a vibrant theater community. And also, Bendelstiff has been uh, around for, in their space, the last 10 years. So, 
there is hope that you know you have one venue, one business which is involved in building up the community that can spawn other businesses to build things up and all of a sudden a community can, a community can change mm-hmm. for the better and it can be a wonderful sort of safe haven where in the midst of all of the crime and whatever you can go to a place where you can just relax and listen to music or see a theater piece mm-hmm. and I don't have to go to Hayward or Castro Valley or go to you know the air quotes nice areas it can yeah. be right here in your community where you can experience something wonderful. Right. Yeah. I think one of the things I'm still trying to figure out is how to bridge that gap so mm-hmm. that those in the community who did not grow up seeing theater mm-hmm. or going to classical concerts or anything yeah. like that, how they can feel themselves safe yeah. to, to attend these kinds of events. Because mm-hmm. you know? I've been to hoity-toity stuff Sh- sure. in my life and sure. felt out of place. Yeah. And so I can only imagine what they would feel like you know, coming to a theater. Right, right, exactly. So I think that what you're doing with the Brooklyn Preserve is a wonderful thing. You know, it's a great to have. I shouldn't have to go way, way, way out or, you know, to put on a three-piece suit to go to the close hall, nice places to see wonderful theater or wonderful music or anything that the Brooklyn Preserve, you know, wants to do. And it's not just you. I mean, these are also, that's also uh, whoever you rent and rent it out to. You know, it's a... Mm-hmm. It's sort of a joint collaboration, uh, who you work with. But I want to talk about you. I want to get into a bit of an origin story uh, so that people can know a little bit about Fallon Blazer. Are you a native of the Bay? I'm not, no. Okay. Born in Georgia. Wow. Raised in North Carolina. Okay. But my mom's um, family all lives out here, so mm-hmm. and she's very close with them. So since I was born, mm-hmm. I've come to California every summer Yeah. with my mom and my brother. Georgia, uh, Macon, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, Savannah, Augusta, Augusta. That's mm-hmm. the I think it's the capital. No, no, no not no, the no. capital. Okay, I'm yeah, thinking of another one. <laughs> is Atlanta not the capital? I don't think so. I think it's a big. It's the. Um, this one thing I should ask Siri, but I think I thought Augusta, Georgia, was the capital. No. In any any case, it's where the Masters is. The Masters. That's right. Masters that's right. Um. I don't hear a southern accent <laughs> from you at all. No, my parents didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad's from New Jersey and my mom's from Taiwan. Ah, okay. So, yeah, no southern accents. I, I'd love to hear a romance story. How did your mom and dad get to, I mean, how did they, how did, how did they come together? I don't have a romantic story <laughs> to tell. <laughs> Was my he in the army? Uh, I don't know. My dad is not a romantic person. Um, he would frequent the restaurant. My mom was a waitress in. Ah, I see. And it's it's the funny it's funny the way that she tells it because she liked him because he was tall mm-hmm. and white mm-hmm. and skinny. Mm. Um, she did not like that he never tipped her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but she went with her gut, I guess, mm-hmm. and fought for him for a while. Wow. And that happened in Georgia? That happened in Georgia, yeah. Wow, wow. What did, you, what did your dad do in, in Georgia? My dad was a mechanical engineer. Okay. Yeah. He moved down from New Jersey because mm-hmm. he hated it there. Ah. Yeah, he's like, the further south I go, the better. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm thinking this is the mid or late 80s. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 early. Early 80s? Okay, because I'm thinking back to the 80s. That was sort of the beginning of the crack cocaine epidemic. So in big cities mm-hmm. like 
I don't know if your dad came from Trenton, New Jersey or New Jersey. Yeah. But that may have been something that may have driven him down south because I know that that was something we were dealing with in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And uh, people want, were looking to escape to leave, you know, what was happening. Uh, this is the beginning of the early Reagan administration. Okay, so what? What? Um, so Georgia and then North Carolina, you say? Yeah. So how did you come to North Carolina? Work. My dad's worked up in the North okay. Carolina. Okay, got it. Yeah. yeah. Are you an only child? No, I have two brothers. Okay. One was an accident. Okay. A happy accident. Yeah. Um, me and my brother were both sort of raised to be musicians. Cool. Um, yeah, my brother started taking lessons at the age of two. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I should say Fallon Blazer is a fantastic pianist. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. People do not know that. Yeah. Um, I used to be. Oh, you still are. <laughs> it's like a bicycle. Once you get on, you never you never forget. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's very kind. So your brother plays too, right? Yes. Older um, brother? Uh, he's two years younger than I Okay. Am, yeah. yeah, and he played all kinds of instruments growing up. He was very, very, very gifted. Mm-hmm. But neither of us are musicians today. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what about your other brother? Oh, the wild card. <laughs> he just does whatever he wants. Okay. He does a lot of, he sews. Is that right? He's a good seamstress. Oh, wow. Millennials will sell. I mean, that's a that's a. I think it's an oxymoron, but um, that's good. It's, I'm glad that you know those practices. My, I, I still have an aunt who sews. Yeah. So. I think that there aren't any rules. I think that's one of the things that the younger generations are starting to find. Yeah. You don't no. have to be a product of your environment. That's fantastic. No, I think that's wonderful. Because um, you hear, you know, about the typical millennial who's into the esports and video games and, and that sort of stuff or into coding and tech and all that stuff. But, no, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So what brought you to the Bay? Oh, that's that's such a hard question to answer. Um, originally, it was grad school. Okay. I got my master's at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. So music was your trajectory. Oh, definitely. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, loved it. In undergrad, I had an amazing teacher. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go? Uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Okay. Go Tar Heels. Tar Heels, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I went to grad school, and it wasn't a great experience. Mm-hmm. And then I followed a boy mm-hmm. to New Zealand, Okay. where I lived for a year and a half. I have a friend of mine, as a matter of fact, she was on the podcast, um, oh, shucks, what is her name? Um, but in any case, she, she is in New Zealand right now. Uh, and she's having just a wonderful time. I think Zena, <laughs> Zena the teenage uh, uh, Zena the uh, the warrior princess. She she loved that uh, program, mm-hmm. and so that was that was uh, it took place in New Zealand, and so that drew drew her there. It's a beautiful place. You should go. Yeah, they have great singers. Uh, one of these days, one of these days I'll go. But in any case, so how long were you in New Zealand? I was in New Zealand on and off for a year and a half. Okay, and then that relationship ended mm-hmm. not in a good way. And I was like, okay, yeah. I gotta come back to America, mm-hmm. real life. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, it was like Fallon 2.0. Yeah. What's next? The reboot. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, the reboot. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I've talked with some friends of mine who, there are some people who are like, hey, immediately after you graduate high school, go straight into college. You know, don't lose the momentum. And then there are those who are like, hey, I need to take a break and just chill and figure out who I am and all that stuff. So it sounds like you went for the latter. It was was this break to New Zealand? Was that in between high school and college? 
No, this was after grad school. Okay. Oh, I, I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, moving to New Zealand sort of shaped my perspective on what it what was important to me as a whole person. Sure. Because <coughs> one of the things about music is that you can get very uh, – you can – you can be very in it, mm-hmm. and it is your life, and it can kind of consume you. And yeah. Um, that's, as a pianist, mm-hmm. I, can, I can say that um, <coughs> that's the way that it was for me. Music was just all the time. When I wasn't when I wasn't playing it, it was in my head, like, on repeat. Sure, sure. Um, you know, you're practicing eight hours a day, and yeah. it, it was just, it was a lot. So I think I needed a break. Yeah, you know, I uh, one of my favorite artists is Keith Jarrett. I love Keith. I know Keith Jarrett is absolutely fantastic. And for those who don't know, he's a classical pianist, but he 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 knows so many different genres. Like he played with Miles Davis, and uh, he he's he's an improvisational pianist, but he uses so many techniques, so many different types of techniques. And I remember listening to an interview where. He he is one who is very very consumed in his music and uh, he's very eccentric. Uh, he wants his personal piano to be done the right way and he wants people to be quiet when they listen to him during concerts. He'll walk off the stage if if, if there's someone coughs or whatever. But when you see him in action, he's just totally consumed. But in in the interview, he talks about being so absorbed in learning the different types of techniques that I often wondered. Wow, you know, does he have a personal life, and you know, is he alienating himself from you know other people or whatever? And I and I do wonder about that. So I think is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. that's definitely. Yeah, I love watching him. He he is fantastic. He will grunt a little bit, like, uh, uh, oh, uh, yeah. but he, he's just so into it, and the music is just so absorbing. So, folks, if you're listening, jump on YouTube after you listen to this and type in Keith Jarrett. He he's fantastic. In any case, speaking of um, techniques and genres or whatever, were you strictly a classical pianist, or did you touch in on other other uh, forms, types of music? Yeah, I think I've always wanted to be able to improvise, mm-hmm. but I've never had the knack for it. And yeah. I even took uh, a couple semesters of improvisation and just never got into it. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't have like a, a mental freedom for that, but I've been so trained to yeah. play what's on the page. It's a different. It's a definitely a different mindset. I play piano a little bit, and I don't read sheet music. Basically, it's just learning by ear, and it's tough switching your mind, you know, to being on paper. I can I can read, but it's like a very very elementary level, <clears throat> and it's different from someone who's trained to read and not to differentiate. Like if let's say you're playing mid in the middle, and let's say someone just took the papers away from you to continue to play. I don't know if you'd be able to do that. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But it is, I can see how it can be very meticulous to mm-hmm. read notes. It's mm-hmm. a lot to read at the same time. But sure. when you're trained to do it, you just look at it and it's like, it's just in your eyeballs, into your brain, it just comes out through your fingers. Yeah. And you're constantly looking, scanning for the next notes as you're playing, mm-hmm. I guess, those notes. It's sort of like an actor. You know, an actor, there's some actors who are like, hey, listen, give me a script and I'll know what to do, but don't ask me to um, improvise. But then there are some folks who really do improvise. You know, that's you have the stand-up comics. You know, there are comedians, but they're not stand-up comics because they need a script. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
They need to be told what to say. Do you think that's a natural result of, like, their personality, or is it more the way they were trained? It could be a little bit of both. You know, there are some folks who feel very nervous. As a matter of fact, Norman and I were talking about this on another episode of our podcast where he talked about Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder, who did Young Frankenstein and a bunch of other things, Stir Crazy with Richard Pryor. And Gene Wilder t- mentions that he is not a comedian, but he's a comic actor where he needs a script. Uh, he can improvise with a script in his hand. It's sort of like having a structure. You know what you're doing as a character, and you know what the beats and the objectives are. But if you ask him to just you know, get on stage and just speak about just things in, in the back of his mind, he wouldn't know how to do it. So I think it's it's technique and it's also just where your mind is and how you've been trained. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it is interesting. So you went from New England. Uh, you came to what brought you to the Bay? Oh, that's right. You said grad school, right? Yes, originally. Okay. Grad school to New Zealand. Got and it. And then relationship ended. Got it. Came back. Mm-hmm. Was like, what am I gonna do with my life? Sure. Um, and that's when I met you. Yeah, but you didn't uh, initially, so we did Candide in 2014, mm-hmm. but you were here in the Bay Area prior to that, right? Um, maybe for a year. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Interesting. Um, is your family in the Bay? No. My, well, I, my mom's side of the family is in the Bay. Okay. But, um, so I, st- I stayed with my great-grandmother okay. for a few years. Mm-hmm. She's turning 101. Wow, that's fantastic. Month. Yeah. Man, I just interviewed, um, well, we interviewed, I interviewed Charlie Larigo, who uh, runs the Playwright Center, and he's, I think, in his 80s, and also interviewed a guy, uh, John Hutchinson, and he's in his 80s, and I, I love interviewing people who are from an earlier generation, because they can sort of tell me, it's, it's like listening to history, and John Hutchinson was telling me how he listens to the Fireside Chats, which was when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was the president. The Fireside Chats were a radio program that the president used to talk to the people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, you listen to that. That's amazing. I'm sure your grand- great-grandmother had all sorts of stories to tell. Yeah. Unfortunately, she didn't speak any English, and I don't speak any Chinese. Oh. So uh, Translators? Well, I, uh, yeah. Our visits are very gestural in nature. Interesting. Well, I'm sure she has uh, – I'm sure there's history in the back of her mind, especially, you know um, – Imperial China, or or at least you know China, yeah. in um, the turn of the century. Yeah, she has a lot of stories. Yeah, to they tell. escaped. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very very cool. That's right. That's right. A good friend of mine gave me the book by Iris Chang, The Rape of Nanking. Mm. Very very moving. Very sad. Um, but yeah, yeah, think about that. So um, so wow, you were, you were so you came. It sounds like you came to the Bay in 2013. Is that right? The end of 2013, I think. Okay. Yeah, 2014, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and then Dave was like, oh, hey, you're in the Bay. How did you get to know Dave Moshley? Dave Moshley, he runs the Awesome Orchestra, which is, you know, like how some people have, like, you know, like they all have a good bunch of friends to do, like, a band, like a, you know, like a little jam session. Well, Dave Moshley has a jam session, but they're orchestra people. They're people who do sympathies and stuff like that, and it's just a fantastic organization. How did you get to meet Dave? Anyone can play. Um, yeah. We we actually never met officially, mm-hmm. um, but we went to music school together. I was in undergrad, and he was a grad student. Uh huh. Um, and it's so small. Yeah. That I had obviously seen his face. Sure, and sure. Through we had a lot of mutual friends. Awesome. Yeah. So he was like, "Oh, you're a pianist. Well, you should come play." 
mm-hmm. being awesome orchestra, and also co-playing Candide. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we did Candide in 2014 um, at the Douglas Morrison Theater. Um, you know, Candide, that's, and we can talk about that because it was an interesting experience for me because an a- as an actor, I'm used to working with a bunch of other actors. But there was a mix of people who were cl- classically trained um, singers, um, opera singers, uh, like the uh, wonderful, um, oh, shucks, um, well, there's Anna Yoham, who um, who was the who was the um, who was also there, but Angela Angela Jarose, yes, that's who she was, who played Kunamanga, and just an amazing voice, just mm-hmm. an astounding voice, and um, there was the lead actor who unfortunately passed away. Uh, we talked about that uh, er- er- earlier, um, but. As an actor, I, you know, I dealt with, uh, there were singers who really didn't know how to act or they, they weren't used to acting. And then there were us actors who could sing, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we weren't classically trained singers. So I learned a little bit about how to use my voice and how to sing as a operatic singer. But also, I think that some of the uh, singers learned a little bit about beats and motivations and about acting. So it was a nice little um smorgasbord of mm-hmm. of a uh, collective of people yeah. and we had Mike Muhammad he has talked on the A about his experience as a director in Candide and how it was his objective to bring in people from different backgrounds oh, okay. to build this tapestry that's great yeah. kind of like sharing everyone's talents exactly and i imagine that was the same for the orchestra pit because you guys were uh, a unit all in itself as well yeah. Yeah. How does that work being a part of an orchestra? I mean, do you just operate on your own where you're just looking at the paper and you're just playing? Or do you listen to other people? Like, um, I don't know if, D- if Dave, the orchestra, tells you, hey, you need to soften because you need to listen to somebody else to balance, mm-hmm. you know, what you're doing with, I don't know, the trumpet player or something like that. Well, as a, yeah, definitely. You're mm-hmm. always listening to what other people are doing. Okay. It's, yeah, that's how you make music together. And Dave is also a critical component. Sure. Keeping time and mm-hmm. in guiding us in these and in, in where to listen and when to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had a fantastic experience uh, with the, um, with Candide and, and also just with the Douglas Morrison Day. It's a fantastic venue and uh, they do great things and, I think uh, Susan Evans, when she was the artistic director, wanted to bring in pieces that were diverse and were culturally aware. And uh, I hope that Mary Jo Price, who is now the uh, artistic director at the DNT, will do the same thing. And it's the reason why I think uh, Foreman in Paris, the play that I did, uh, happened at the DNT. Because although it dealt with black history and a little bit of black theater, which is unusual in Hayward. But mm-hmm. they said, hey, come on in. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you in. So that was fantastic. Let's talk about the Brooklyn Preserve. How did the Brooklyn Preserve come into your life? Was it owned by your family? No. Okay. Um, the Brooklyn Preserve is a nonprofit that I started um, to uh, as, as an operation mm-hmm. for community center. Okay. Um, that would operate out of the church. And... The church is owned by my mom. Okay. And um, we got it from the Baptist congregation that was there before us. That's that's interesting. Buying a church. I mean, um, how did what possessed your mom to do that? Um, well, she did it for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was looking for some kind of uh, structure mm-hmm. that served a community center's purpose. Yeah. 
and the church makes natural sense. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where people have congregated in the past. And yeah, it is yeah. A great, it's a great venue. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, the ceilings are domed. Yeah. Just right for, for good acoustics. Yeah. There's some pictures. I think we, we can post some pictures. I don't know if SoundCloud will allow me to do that, but the pictures inside the Book of Missouri are just beautiful. It's a really, really wonderful environment. Yeah. And yeah. we, right now we've only fixed up one space that's upstairs, so it's not handicap accessible, which okay. is too bad. Um, yeah. There is a space downstairs in the main sanctuary, which mm-hmm. seats like 500 people. Yeah. Um, but that space is a lot of work. It's. The whole building has sustained a ton of water damage. Mm. And so, like, the first step is replacing the roof. Yeah. Now, is there still a church there? I mean, are there services there? No, there are not services. I understand. I understand. Okay, so it was owned by the church, but I guess they sold it to your mom. Mm -hmm. Got it. I understand. I understand. Yes. Um, What, well, let me ask you this. What prompted you to, I mean, what, how did it pop into your mind that you wanted to to do this? I I don't know if there was ever like a point in a time where I where I said, "Oh, this is what I'm going to do." Mm-hmm. But it was kind of like a feeling, like a feeling that grew inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of listened to that feeling and it pushed me along the way. Yeah. Um Yeah, the church, I feel like it found me. I was looking at much smaller churches. Mm-hmm. This one is um almost 13,000 square feet. Yeah. Um, but then my realtor came to me and said, Hey, um, this one's got your name on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I found out that it was a historical landmark of Oakland. Wow. So I went to the library and mm-hmm. just read all about them. Mm-hmm. And from what I was reading, they did a lot of really good things. They opened their doors, um, when the big earthquake happened and wow. yeah. housed a lot of people and their missionaries all over the world. So the Brook- so the, this church or this this building is over a hundred years old. Yes, it's from eighteen eighty seven. Wow. Yeah, and we were able to put it on the National Register of Historic Places last year mm-hmm. or two years ago. Yeah. Um, which is super great, mm-hmm. and and I hope to to can you know pass this building on so that it will continue to be a community center and, and looked after and. Yeah, you know we we need communities. I was thinking when I was growing up. There were some places that we as kids could go to sort of um, just relax and, and talk, and the community can come together. And usually a church fills that purpose, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're part of that same denomination. And I'm finding now, especially in, in, in the age of gentrification and you have these startups, these uh, tech companies just buying up buildings and and converting them into uh, places where – I don't know, the Google folks or whatever can go, can go in and whatever. And unfortunately, if you don't have the money to to um, to keep up, you're pushed out. There are a lot of communities that are just being completely pushed out of their community because they don't have the money to stay there. It's happening in D.C. When I go back to D.C., the very few people in my family still stay in D.C. because they can't afford to anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a change. I'm sure that's happening in, in Oakland, mm-hmm. and I'm glad to see that the Brooklyn Preserve Instead of being a startup, and it's like, well, we're going to build, we're going to tear it down and build a multi, you know, a multi-million-dollar, you know, condo, and mm-hmm. we'll just have rich people come in. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're keeping it available for the community. That's that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, it's a tricky path to navigate. Like, how do you, how do you uplift a community? Mm-hmm. W- you know, not in the way of 
putting a ton of money into something and then making it exclusive. Right. How do you uplift those like, who, who mm -hmm. are poor as well? Exactly, exactly. Um, let's talk about some of the companies that have come in. We've talked about Ubuntu. Ubuntu had their season at the Oakland Preserve. Um, who else have you had there? Uh, the Inferno Theater is cool. there often. He does very good um, artfully direct, directed and produced plays. Mm -hmm. um, we had this tiny Shakespeare company. They only do Shakespeare. Okay. And they only put on one play a year. Okay. And they did As You Like It. Cool. They were amazing. Yeah. No set. They didn't have a set. I was like, what? Okay. But very easy to follow. The, the acting was, was yeah. incredible. Yeah. As I looked in the picture of the Brooklyn Preserve, it strikes me as if that, if it were a, a theater company. It's, it's it's almost as if it were a theater in the round. Mm-hmm. Like yes. it's not a, pr a traditional proscenium where there are audience members sitting all around. Yes. Um, at least in one particular area. So I can see how not having a set would be the thing to do because you don't want anything to block the way – block, you know, mm. one person's vision. Yeah, yeah. Um, although Ubuntu – had very elaborate sets, and it worked for them, too. Oh, cool. Yeah, so the there's no stage. There's no yeah. elevated stage. There's no raised stage. Um, and people sit um, mm -hmm. slightly raised. Okay. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Well, we are talking about the other companies that have, that have come in. Right. And, um, yeah, no, it, because I know that with certain – there are certain spaces that will dictate what you can put on. Like I think about Central Works run by Gary Graves, who's been on the program before. And they have a very limited space, mm -hmm. which is located. I don't know if you've been to any of the uh, plays uh, for Central Works, but they operate out of the um, the Berkeley, I want to say, um, there, there's a center in Berkeley. and um, But it's a small room. It's a small room, and there are seatings pretty much all around the the, the space. And the space is very limited. It's, it's as big as this living room that I'm in right now, and I have a small one-bedroom apartment. So, um, but they make it work, and yeah. they create great theater. And but everyone knows when we walk into this theater, mm -hmm. we've got to make sure that the play will work within the, the theater. And I I think the Brooklyn Preserve will be the same way. If someone were to come in and do something at the Brooklyn Preserve, you'll probably want to do it within mind that the the audience will be sort of around you, and you have this wonderful really beautiful uh, church atmosphere, uh, which c you can use it to your advantage or you can, you know, use it to create a dystopian, you know, story or what have you. But you can do all sorts of creative things in the yeah. space. That's, that's what I uh, appreciate about it is that it, it, it forces you to be, use your imagination a little <laughs> bit more. Right, 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 of course. Um, let's see what else we can what – what are your future plans for the Brooklyn Preserve? I mean, do you are you – You've had to get into sort of the business aspect. I mean, there's owning a space. That's one thing. But there's, there's, there's also getting the word out yeah. to other folks. Let's talk about the business aspect. Absolutely. <laughs> because I'm horrible at it. That's okay. I'm, I'm getting a learning lesson, too. <laughs> I just produced my first play, and I had to really learn. Okay, I wrote the play. Now i got to promote it and, you know, and, and figure out the business part of it and all that stuff. another skill set. Yeah. That I am – developing a little bit at a yeah. time because you you know there are a lot of folks who when they buy property they they they've had some classes in business or they went to business school and, and things like that and i take it you have not done any of that at all no i'm a what, musician <laughs> yeah which which makes it all the more amazing i mean do you hire people to handle the business stuff or do you sort of learn on your own i've been learning on my own i don't 
I don't really have the funds to hire anyone to, sure, to work you. that side for me. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, I love that. That's part of the challenge. Yeah. And I've just found good people to work with who I can rely on and who will do good work and, mm-hmm. and pay them fairly and, um, and who will, who will work with me and who will teach me a little bit sure. so that I can um, supplement with help when I can. And I'm talking yeah. about lots of like construction type things. Sure. You know, one thing that I think pro- I think that you and I had mentioned off mic was um, usually in, in the theater you have like a gridiron and you have lights. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily have that at the Brooklyn Reserve. Is that correct? Yeah. No. Um, we have a ring. The mm-hmm. lights can be strung up. Okay. Um, I did have to learn about all the different kinds of lights and sure. ellipsoidals. And yeah. And, and there's also electricity and dimmers. And because, you know, you can't, if you overload mm-hmm. a dimmer or whatever, then, you know, that's bad news as well. Right. So the first step was getting extra amps into the church. Yeah. Putting in the sub-panel. So, and then designating certain outlets mm-hmm. and knowing how many amps are in each circuit. Yeah. And then working from there, it's really like from the ground up. Yeah. Very, very from the ground up. Is there a traditional light board or a light no. room? Okay. No. Um, the kids these days are using uh, their computers. You just plug in this little dongle. It's yeah. Dongle. Mm-hmm. And the DMX cord and, and like that's it. And boom. You have. Oh, okay. Hey, if that works, that's just fine. You and actually, you can, I guess you can run the lights, you know, from anywhere if you have the laptop yeah. or what have you. Yeah, you just use your laptop. Is that what Ubuntu did? Yeah, that's what Ubuntu did. Yeah. Awesome. And I take it sound. Well, I'm sure that the, you know, being a musician, the sound, um, like there's a sound booth and there's a place to plug in, like amplifiers and things like that. Um, yeah, there's not really a designated place. Okay. We've had um, Romeo and Juliet in Oakland mm-hmm. uh, just did their production, and they actually moved where normally we have sound and light set up mm-hmm. to the other side. Okay. So... And I and I like appreciate that too. That's a little bit of creativity. They needed that space mm-hmm. as part of their set. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Cool. How do you deal with like um, contracts? I mean, do you just write up a contract or you know, like let's say uh, like a rental agreement, that sort of thing? Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's the other side that I've have right. learned is the legal bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been learning as I go too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm sure it's important to work with people that you can trust because obviously, you know, one of the ugly sides of business is dealing with people that you don't trust or let's say someone who's burned you in the past. We had Linda Ayers Frederick on and she talked about, you know, at the Phoenix Theater about liability, about insurance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think she had mentioned that there was one actor or actress who had tripped and fell Mm -hmm. and hit her knee and she had to make sure that the theater company had insurance Mm -hmm. to cover what was going on, and unfortunately, I think Linda had to come out of pocket to pay for, I guess, ambulance fees or, or what have you, because they didn't have that. Um, do you think about that at all? Yes, that's definitely in the contract. Oh, good. Everyone has to have insurance. Well, see, you're, you're ahead of the game already. <laughs> and, of course, you have to cross your fingers to make sure that everyone is on the up and up. Well, I mean, you never know. There was, a, uh, there was an article a couple of years ago. There was a theater company that was a little too adventurous, and they had someone hanging from – I think a string or something like that. It was some sort of a Christmas projection and someone's supposed to be an angel. Mm-hmm. And the line broke and no, the person no. fell. And that person was, you know, seriously injured. And um, it was a church production, but clearly they didn't know what they were doing. No, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm aware of what's going on before I'm, you know, I kind of check in like, okay, like, mm-hmm. let's not slam this door like this because the glass is going to break. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. I, I, I guess that's another question to ask you. I mean, how do you do check in? You do make sure or you do have a meeting to find out. Okay, I know you're doing a production, but, you know, what, what does it entail? And oh, yes. do you need to paint things? And, yes. you know, I'm sure there are times where you're like, no, you can't do that. I mean, have you had to sort of be the heavy to say, no, you can't oh, yes. do certain things? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, because people don't, don't realize, I think, uh, the way that gravity works sure, <laughs> or things sure. like that. And especially because it's a historical building, you're trying to preserve yeah. and restore yeah. and not break down. Right. Anymore of this poor building. Yeah. Yeah. Do you um, do you have a budget for like I don't know repairing um, things or, or what have you? I, I guess it's a I don't know if it's a stupid question or whatever, but no, yeah. it is something that I'm that I have worked. Okay. I've figured out that I need yeah. to have a budget for that kind of thing. Do you have you had to do manual labor like you know you do things on your own? Yeah. I do all of it on my own. <laughs> I spent. After Ubuntu left, I spent mm-hmm. a total of 12 hours cleaning that floor. Wow. And then I put down um, a protective coating over it because I was like, mm-hmm. I just can't. I just can't go on like this. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you, what is your – do you have a day job or is this is this your career? I mean, is this your thing? I, I don't know I don't know if the Brook Preserve is bringing enough money so that you don't have to work anymore, but are, are the things you do during the day? Um Part of the building is leased out to an ABA therapy company okay. called Positive Pathways. Okay. Um, so they help pay cool. a little bit. And I do have another job okay. where I sell sheets on the internet. Right on. Yeah. My mom uh, is an importer, mm-hmm. and she's um, essentially formulated her own, mm-hmm. <coughs> her own brand of microfiber polyester sheets your mom sounds very interesting i mean not only (laughs) you know a former waitress she has the ability to buy a church for her her daughter and also she's you know doing online you know sales or whatever i mean well i've I've had so there was a lady friend of mine this is getting personal but there was a lady friend of mine chinese who i had dated a while and she was incredibly resourceful and innovative. And she's also always thinking you know what's the next business thing Mm -hmm. what am i going to do next and and what have you and I mean, this is not to stereotype, but, you know, there there's just certain women, especially um, Chinese women, who are just very, very resourceful. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Huh, yeah. But, yeah, your mom sounds really, really interesting. Okay, so so the Brooklyn, they, it doesn't consume your entire life. It consumes, like, 95% of my life. Okay. And then sometimes I have to put it on hold while yeah. I do other stuff. I'm Good. I'm a juggler. I'm constantly juggling. <laughs> well, hopefully you're having fun. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, you get into a business and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, this business come, has become a jail. I mean, I'm sort of locked in. But oh, no. Not good. at all. Good for you. We're making art. We're making Th- art That's possible. exactly right. It's beautiful. Yeah. Where do you see um, the future? I mean, you, you've you had um, Ubuntu do their entire um, uh, season mm-hmm. at the Brooklyn Reserve. Sometimes that could be a good thing or a bad thing because you may want to bring in other companies. Um, do you have Do you have a list of companies that are dying to just knock on your door and and come in? No. Okay. No, I don't. Um, I do. I I appreciate having different companies come through because they mm-hmm. each have their own perspective. Yeah. And their own style, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Ubuntu is going to be back. They're doing the birds. Okay. 
um, co-produced with the Inferno Theater. Cool. Um, in November, mm-hmm. end of November to December. Is that an adaptation of Alfred Hitchcock, The Birds? No. Okay, this is different birds. Okay. No, it's based on a folklore of Russia. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. I don't know much about it, but I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'll be fantastic. And hopefully, you know, through the podcast, and of course, I'll be telling all of my friends, because I have a lot of friends who are writers, they're directors, uh, and they're always looking for space, either for rehearsal space or to put up a a production. Mm -hmm. And if they know that there's a space uh, where, do you want to advertise what the pricing is, or do you want to, people go on to, and I have a link to your website as well. Well, we are affordable. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that whatever it is that is in your budget, we yeah. we can make it work. Well, people can people will work with you, and and uh, now that you know you're enjoying the podcast here, I'll have a link to you know your. Um, do you do Twitter or uh, Snapchat or Instagram or anything like that? We just started an Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, the best place to follow us is on Facebook, though. Okay, so yeah, folks, hit uh, hit Fallon Blazer up on Facebook and. Talk to her and, you know, let her know, you know, what your budget is and she'll tell you, you know, what, what will work and, uh, you know, and things will work out. And we're getting close to the hour. Not quite there yet. Um, I'm hoping you'll get back into music. I mean, you know, you're a fantastic pianist. And uh, do you want to get back into music? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I love music. Yeah. Music is, it flows through me in a certain way that nothing else does. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just magic in in hearing something in your head and then have it come out in the real world. Yeah. You know? Now, I, you know, there, there are pianists who they look for jobs. Like, I have a good friend of mine uh, who, uh, um, well, Joel Knopf. Joel Knopf is a, uh, and he's been on the Yay, where he not only is a pianist, but he's a composer of musicals. And he actually has a musical called The Right Note. Which we've been promoting, and um, but they're also um, shucks. I'm trying. My, my memory is just bad. Ben 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 Prince, Ben Prince is a pianist who works with the Ray of Light Theater, and he's been their session pianist for auditions and also uh, shows. And he's actually been the musical coordinator for uh, Ray of Light. So that's something that he uses his piano abilities to do. Okay. Um, are you looking to get back into classical theater, or how about even recording? Like, I don't know if you're looking to, um, you know, they're, friend, they're friends of mine who look to go into a recording studio and just, you know, put something on, I, I would say tape or, you know, <laughs> records, but, you know, that's that's a, uh, that's an oxymoron now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I could do that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I yeah. guess maybe I'm waiting Waiting for an opportunity to arise where, sure. where I'm kind of called back into yeah. it. Yeah. But, I mean, I play for myself on occasion. Cool. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Because I thought that I had something else. Well, how is – this is something that I always ask uh, folks. How is the Bay Area treating you as sort of a an artist or as an entrepreneur? There are people who are like, hey, I need to, I want to venture to go to other places. Like, there are friends of mine who, they want to go to New York. Mm-hmm. They want to go to L.A. Uh, to see if they can test their waters there. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they want to go to Seattle or they just want to go to, I mean, how is, you know, obviously you're doing well with the Brooklyn Preserve and you're, you know, contributing to the Bay Area community. Has the Bay Area community treated you well? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that people who go to places looking for a specific 
experience. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's their own it's their own drive that's taking them there, yeah. you know? And I think that for me, it was a bit opposite where um, I sort of made my place and I'm making, mm -hmm. I'm making an, an environment, a, l a little pocket, um, and hopefully its own culture will arise and, and people will be drawn, drawn to that. Yeah, no, you definitely are. And it's, it's a wonderful thing, like I said, uh, when... There are people who want to create just for their own selves, their own, you know, little, it's like, hey, i got to look out for me. And then there are individuals who create an environment for other individuals. Mm -hmm. And I look at the Brooklyn Preserve as sort of like a, a ballpark where, you know, people can play and, and, uh, and you know, just have fun or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, not that it's Yankee Stadium or something like that, but. No, that's exactly, that's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, and I think so. I mean, I think about the Douglas Morrison Theater when it opened up its doors for me and other artists. I was like, hey, you know, great. This is a place where we can play, where we can, you know, explore and create our dreams. Mm -hmm. And the Brooklyn Reserve is doing exactly that. Yes. Uh, any last words? Any last uh, plugs or whatever? Yes. Go for we it. We are fundraising for the first time. Cool. Um, we're hoping to get a matching grant from the state, nas National State Park. Mm -hmm. um, because we are a historical building, they cool. will match up to $500,000. Awesome. So over the next year, we'll be fundraising hardcore mm -hmm. to to fix up the sanctuary. Yeah. Which is that big. It'll be, we'll have it it'll be turned into a stage. It won't be a pulpit anymore. Sure. Um the ceilings, which are like 54 feet high, mm -hmm. need a lot of work, and bathrooms and everything needs to oh, sure. needs to a lot of work. Yeah. So um, we're fundraising hard, hardcore for that. Okay, and there's a link where people can donate? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and uh, go ahead. Sorry. And on Giving Tuesday, yes. Facebook and PayPal are matching donations. So if we get this grant, your donations will be quadrupled. Wonderful. Yeah. No, that's fantastic, and I would encourage anyone, even if you're like just a, yo, a young, budding actor, and you don't have you know a lot of a lot of money or whatever, but you need a little bit of helps. And if you can help preserve the Brooklyn, if you can help contribute to the Brooklyn Preserve, then you're creating a play space for yourself and for me. You know, I'm always looking for a place. You know, and as and as I'm getting into being a playwright, I'm always looking for places where we can go and present our stuff. And uh, it could be something as small as a stage reading. It could be something as big as a full-length production. Right. If we don't have these spaces, where can we go? So it's a, it's a wonderful place and to contribute, and we'll have a link uh, to it. I'm sure it's – is it an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter or uh, – No, because it's an ongoing fundraiser and we're a nonprofit. Um, okay. It's not, it's not a personal fundraiser. Got it. Okay. But we'll have a link. We'll have a link so that you can um, link and click – and donate whatever it is. It could be five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars. If you're feeling more generous, whatever you have, if you can contri contribute to the Brooklyn Preserve, then you're preserving theater. I mean, you're preserving theater, and not only that, but the community in Oakland as well. Yeah. Um, before I close, we usually uh, give a shout out to birthdays. Um, yesterday, Richard Harder had his birthday. Uh, Richard Harder runs the Off Broadway West. And I actually had uh, dinner with him uh, last week, I think the week, week before last, uh, talking about future events and all that sort of stuff, and I want to give him a shout-out. Also, Bruce Kaplan, um, I've acted with him 
I think we did 110 in the Shade at the Douglas Morrison Theater. His birthday was also on uh, the 2nd. Uh, on tomorrow, Terry Alabada, that's the friend of mine who went to New Zealand and is in oh. New Zealand right now, enjoying herself, just loving life. And uh, I want to say give a shout-out to Terry. Uh, she turns 34. Uh, also, another uh, Filipino friend of mine, Mallory Samara, her birthday is on the 4th as well. A fantastic Philippine actress. We did a reading of Jeannie Paroga's play. Um, it was, what was it? Um, Buffaloed. Um, the story of um, World War One, actually post-Civil War black soldiers who were sent to the Philippines to sort of, you know, cultivate the land. and uh, But instead they fall in love and, you know, it's a wonderful story. And um, so Mallory was a part of that. Also, a very good friend of mine, Brant Blower, um, fantastic guitarist, classical guitarist. Uh, we acted in um, The Marriage of Bet and Boo, and he and I have jammed together, and uh, he and his wife, Joanna Blower, we have, um, they were also on my podcast. I have a podcast called I'm an American Too, where I talk about individuals who are not born in America to find out how life is uh, in America. And uh, so if you listen to I'm an American Too, you can hear Brant Blower. So I want to wish, wish him a happy birthday. Also on Monday, Terry Sullivan, who is the, um, he sort of runs, he's an ma office manager for the Douglas Morrison Theater. Uh, Terry's birthday is on Monday. And who else? Uh, let's see. Oh. Uh, no, those are all of my theater friends. Okay, that is it. And uh, there are also some uh, theater events that are happening. I want to give a plug out to Cheer, the story of a dreamer. That's being played at Chabot College, Stage 1. That opens up, actually, it opened up on the 1st. It continues through the 11th. Uh, uh, the last podcast that we had, that was um, Lindo Amayo Hassan. She is the playwright and the director of Cheer. And uh, it basically talks about a woman who is an undocumented immigrant. She finds out the hard way by, um, I think she applies for a driver's license and finds out that she's not an American citizen. She was a, um, a high school student who finds out. And it's a very intriguing story. And so that's being played right now. So I invite folks to check that out at the Chabot College. Also, Ward 6, um, Central Works is running that. That's been running since October the 13th. It ends on November the 11th, so check that out. Ubuntu Theater, we just talked about that. They are finishing up Hamlet, um, and they finish tomorrow, um, and that's going on. Also, the right note, I want to plug that. Uh, my good friend Jerome Gentes and also Joel Knopf are involved in that, and that's being played at the Phoenix Theater. That won't begin until November the 30th through December the 15th at sparestage.org. So if you click on sparestage.org, you can check that out. And that is it. Fallon, did you have a good time? Of course I had a good time. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, sorry Norman couldn't be here. Uh, he missed mm -hmm. out. But I just want to say thank you for being on, and also thank you for the Brooklyn Preserve. You know, this is a fantastic mm -hmm. venue and it's a fantastic place where, um, like I said, actors can sort of do their thing and producers can produce their piece without being charged mm -hmm. an arm and a leg. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. All right, here is my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You can also find the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store. 
Use the search engine up on, on the upper right-hand side, and you can find the yay. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com, and you can find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You can find me, redspaceclay.com. You can find Norman G on hoosierhoosier.com, and you can find us. And as Norman and I always like to say, we've got to find a better sign-off. And we are out.